0: My name's Heather Simmons, um, and we've been coming here about 14 years, and we're gonna read the scripture, Galatians 5, 7 through 15. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another.
1: Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our study of Galatians. Jared did a great job last week of talking about chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to be camping on those verses as we move forward into our passage as well. And as we do, I want to orient ourselves to the idea of the text. And it's a simple statement. Laws do not change hearts. Laws do not change hearts. Paul talks about the fact that he wants our hearts to be changed, our lives to be changed. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until, and here's his goal, Christ is formed in you. So if the goal is Christ being formed in us, it's not laws that are going to take us there, but grace. In Mansfield, this last week at Timberview High School, a kid brought a gun to school and it sent a whole city into panic. There are laws that say you're not supposed to bring guns to school, right? We got laws about that. But that doesn't change hearts. That doesn't cause us to want to live according to the laws. Laws are not able to fix problems. We think, oh, we need more laws for this or more laws for that. Well, we got lots of laws. We got laws about the speed limit, right? Go figure. I won't ask for a showing of hands of how many of you who are drivers, have actually seen the little red light flashing on the signpost that has this your speed, right? And not only are you seeing it, but everybody around you is saying, yeah, I knew that guy was going too fast, right? We have laws about speed. It doesn't cause me to follow them. We have laws about stealing, and yet people still steal. They still take things. We have laws on so many issues of life. Laws are not intended to fix our lives. They only expose sin and they show punishment for it. They only expose our bad behavior and they, and they declare it to be wrong, that this behavior is not acceptable. And here's the punishment if you fail. But the law doesn't have in it a provision. Here's how you can succeed, right? That's not what laws are designed to do. They don't fix the problem. They only expose it and the punishment for it. When we have, when you're a new parent and you're wanting to raise your children, you find that they do things that are not right. But if you've never told them it's not right to do this behavior, if we punish them, then we're actually told that's not the appropriate approach. You need to inform them, instruct them on what is right behavior. And if you do this again, here's what's going to happen, right? Because they didn't know. And so laws help us to know what it is that we're failing in, where we're coming up short. Otherwise, we would have no way to gauge that. And so laws don't change my heart, but what changes my heart? What will cause my heart to be different? And Paul in Galatians is saying the grace of God. It's God's grace that will change my heart. You see, we try to live and we think about and we live our lives in our culture and even among believers. We live our lives more according to B.F. Skinner and his idea of behavioral modification through changing your circumstances around you. So in other words, from the outside, change the circumstances, in change my heart. But God's approach is, change the heart. And you won't even have to list all the laws. You'll naturally keep them if your heart's changed. You see, that's the fix. That's the solution. Jesus is the solution to changing these things. And yet we misunderstand this idea of grace. We sang about it in one of our songs, this idea of grace. Grace. That we want to live according to it. But what does it look like? What is grace supposed to be? Paul addresses that in the book of Galatians about what it is not. But in our passage, he begins to talk about what it is. I have a little chart that I want to show you. Uh, it has three things on it. And you may want to take a picture of this because I guarantee you, you'll probably be thinking about it later. This idea of grace, what is it? It's not grace unplugged. It's not grace plus law, but it is grace alone. So when you look at this, you'll know it's not, it's not, and this is what it is, the bottom one. It's not grace unplugged, which would mean God forgives us, doesn't expect anything of us, so that we can live however we want to live. Now that's how our society is living, right? Just doing what they feel is right. And, and some of us fall into that same idea that we can just kind of do whatever we want to. We can live however we want to. We can be anything we want to. And so we, we have this idea that we have the freedom to sin. Now, there is a passage in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 that addresses this issue of this grace unplugged. And he says in Romans 6.1, and I have that on a slide if you want to change that to that one. Uh, It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's addressing this issue that, hey, I'm free to sin. I can do whatever I want to. I have the forgiveness of God after all, right? And so I can just live however I want. He says, by no means. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, I went to Romans to talk about that, but he talks about that in our passage. The passage that was, that we, that, uh, uh, was read by uh, uh, here just recently, it says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, it's not this grace unplugged. It's not freedom to sin however I want to sin. So he's saying this. It's not this. Grace is not the freedom to sin however. So if you go back to that other uh, chart, you see that the second thing is is grace plus law, that God forgives us, but He expects us to live according to religious rules, or else, right? Or else. And that's freedom denied. And he addresses that in the passage as well. In fact, in in last week, whenever uh, Jared was talking about it, you notice that in verse 4 it says, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by law, you have fallen away from grace. So his whole... The thing is, he's saying, if you do grace plus law, you don't have grace anymore. You voided grace. Grace is out the window. Now, why is this important? I have, I've had people over the years, when I talk about this issue of grace, say, Greg, you talk too much about grace. You need to talk a little bit about more, more about law. You need to balance law and grace. So you know what I did? What most of us would do, I Googled it. Because I wanted to see, what are people saying about law and grace and this balance idea? And it's amazing how many people say, oh yeah, law and grace, they're compatible. They're two things that that need to be balanced. They're two things that need to be a part of uh, our Christian experience. But that's not what Paul's saying. If you back up into chapter 4, in verses 21 to the end of the chapter, he says that he's going to speak allegorically. Verses, uh, verse 24, now this, this may be interpreted allegorically, right? That's not a normal process that you want to uh, look at the scriptures from, uh, from an allegorical or types. When scripture says it's a type, I hold it's a type. When it says uh, uses an allegory, fine. But I'm not going to go and use that approach just because Paul uses it here. Because he's done it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? And so he begins to talk about the law. And he uses an allegory of Hagar and um, um, Sarah. Sarah is the, represents the free woman. Hagar represents the slave woman. He says these represent two covenants. You see that in verse 24. Old Testament New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, the law and the New Covenant enacted in Jesus' blood that we celebrate every time that we take the Lord's Supper, that cup. We say this, is the, this cup is the blood of the New Covenant, right? So he's talking about that New Covenant and he's referring to Jeremiah 31. You can look at that later. And so there's this idea and he says, he says, so there's two covenants I'm going to speed up a little bit and jump right down to verse 30. He says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. What is he saying? Get rid of the law. Get rid of the law. The law is no longer apply. Does he Is he saying the Old Testament no longer applies? Oh, no, he's not saying that. We know that from Romans uh, chapter 15 where he says that what was written of old was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. And so, yeah, we read the Old Testament. But we don't have to keep the law. We do learn about God from the old covenant. But even as Abraham understood, and as David understood, and we see it in Romans 4, that they understood it was not by works, but by faith. They understood it. They were living during Abraham before the law, David during the law. They both understood it was not by law. Paul wants to make it really clear. If you back up into chapter 3, he talks about uh, what the the purpose of the law was. He says, so then, verse 24, because he's not saying the law wasn't important. Verse 24 of chapter 3, he says, so then the law was our guardian or our tutor, as some uh, translations, and I like that translation better, our tutor to teach us about Christ, our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the law. And that's what in chapter 5 he's talking about when he says in verse um, 11, But if I, I brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Now, you need to understand in chapter 5 he uses the term circumcision. He's not talking about just one singular thing out of the law. He's referring to the whole law. I'm going to give you a big name of a, a figure of speech. You can impress all your friends with this. It's a synecdoche. A synecdoche. Yeah, now, now you've got the Can you pronounce it? Synecdoche, right? A synecdoche is whenever you give the part, but you mean the whole. It's like when we hear on the news or when you read on the news, the White House said, oh, really? We have talking buildings now in Washington. Is that what they're referring to? No, what they're referring to is the whole president, his cabinet, uh, that part of our government is speaking and here's what they are saying. Or if they say Congress says, or they talk about Capitol Hill, they're talking about they're listing the part, but they mean the whole. They don't just mean uh, a a hill in in D.C., right? We see the same thing used in the scriptures in Acts chapter 5. And I love this one. It has Ananias and Sapphira. They, they've lied. I don't like the part of the story, actually. But uh, they've lied to, 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 to Peter about how, how, what they've done. They've sold their property, and they, they said, we gave you the whole amount when actually they held some back. They weren't in trouble for holding anything back. They were in trouble because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so one died, the husband, and then the wife comes along, tells the same story. So they've conspired together. And Peter makes this statement. He says, the feet of those who carried your husband out are at the door. And they will carry you out as well. And they, the feet? Only the feet? Just two sets of feet standing at the door? No bodies attached? No, obviously it's the, neck, the key of the part referring to a whole person that these two people are standing at the door. or Three people, however many there were. Standing at the door and they're ready to carry her out. And so you look at that and you realize scripture does do that. We do that. It's part of language. And so I see whenever he uses the idea of circumcision here, he's referring to the whole law. He says, if I'm still preaching the law, well, when did Paul do that? When, before he came to Christ. If I'm still preaching the law, why is anybody persecuting me? In other words, I'm not preaching that. I'm not preaching law. I'm preaching Christ and him crucified. I'm preaching the gospel. And so you back up a little bit more in the book, and you realize this fits with what he's saying. He says at the uh, uh, in fact, I, you can't really see it probably, but when I hold up my Bible, you see all these green color. Uh, uh, I've highlighted in green every time that it talks about gospel or faith. And it's a lot of times in the first three chapters. He's dealing with the gospel. And so his whole idea is here, you don't have the correct gospel if you're not understanding this idea. Because he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who has called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so that's his whole focus for the letter. He says, you're, you've moved away from the true gospel. What is that gospel? We see he, he gives up more detail in chapter 2 and verse fifteen or 16. He says... Yet you know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. The word justified means to be declared not guilty. You may be guilty, but you're declared not guilty. And we've seen cases that have gone before judges and we thought, that guy's guilty or that gal's guilty. But the, when the judge declares not guilty, it's over. Now it could be appealed, but, but the decision has been made. They're not guilty. Why would we be declared not guilty? Because Jesus died on the cross. He took my place. And he, all he said is, "I need to, you, you believe in me and I'll take your place. You believe in me, you'll have eternal salvation. You believe in me. You'll have an eternal relationship with the Father. You believe in me, and one day you'll be in heaven. Jesus died to justify, declare us not guilty, when we simply believe on Christ, and that's his whole focus, is it's by faith, not by works. In fact, we see that in chapter five. He says, "For in Christ Jesus, verse six. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, in other words, not following the law or not following the law, counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. Only faith. Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through the word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. It's faith alone. It's not a faith plus anything else. It's not law And grace. If we try to join those together. We miss the point. That it's only. By faith. In Jesus who died for us. In fact there was a uh, Lutheran theologian. Who talked about this issue. And he said. His name was John Mueller. He said. But obedience to the gospel and obedience to the law are opposites. For the first excludes the works of people, while the second demands them. If we live by law, it demands works. If we live by faith, if we live by grace, it excludes works. It doesn't mean that I don't do anything. There's uh, The reason that people tell me I preach too much grace and I need to teach some law is because they've got somebody near them that they love that's that's walking away from the faith or that's living however they please and they're wanting to have some teeth here. They want something that's going to get that person to, to really think about it. that They want a little bit of guilt going on. They want a little bit of shame going on so that person will live the life, right? But that's not what motivates us to live according to grace what motivates us is what I'm going to talk about next week but I want to show you the connection to this week in verse 13 of chapter 5 it says you are called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh the very next time it talks about flesh is in verse 16 it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul doesn't say, you need to follow the law. Yeah, it's grace, and, and, and the way to do that, the way to, 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 to not live an opportunity for the flesh is, man, you just need to obey the Scriptures. No, what he says is, is, if you want to know how to do this, You're not going to be able to do it on your own. The Christian life is impossible on your own. There's no way that you can carry out the the things of the law. There's no way that you could carry out the things that Scripture talks about. There's no way that you can be obedient to Christ. There's no way that Christ can be formed in you on your own. But you got the power of the Spirit of God residing within you. When you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit of God as well. And we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. And I'm going to talk about that next time. And normally when you think about that in terms of walking in the Spirit, of filling of the Spirit, you think, oh, a charismatic church. No, charismatic church doesn't have a corner on the mark of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, we're all supposed to walk in. We're all supposed to be filled in. That's how we're going to grow in grace. That's how we're going to walk in the Christian life. That's how we're going to change and become, have Christ conformed in us. It's through the grace of Christ. It's not through following a set of rules. It's not through uh, motivated by guilt and motivated by, by somebody hammering us over the head, spanking uh, or, or slapping our hand. Uh, it's not going to happen through those means. It's going to happen because of a changed heart. And that changed heart comes by the Spirit of God working in me and changing me and making me different. And so we were called to freedom. It's not an opportunity for the flesh. So we go back and we say, okay, so if you look at that, uh, those three things again, if you'll throw those back up there, um, you see that it's not that, that we uh, uh, have grace unplugged, we're free to sin however we want to. It's not grace plus law because Paul clearly says it's not that. And if you make it that, then you're not living according to the truth and you're voiding grace and you you're, you're have a false gospel. It's grace alone. Grace alone. We see that, and I mentioned that here. It says only faith, faith alone. God forgives us so that by his spirit we can live in freedom from sin without fear of punishment when we fail. It's the freedom from sin, freedom from the power of sin. It's cutting sin off at the root. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And so our process of sanctification is growing in that understanding. It's growing in understanding how to walk in Him. How to walk in the Spirit of God. That's why Paul says in one of these famous verses in Galatians, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith. In fact, if, he's saying, you misunderstand. It's not that you start in the gospel by faith and then you continue on by works. In fact, he really hits that message strongly in chapter 3. And in verse 2, he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And it's a rhetorical question. It was by hearing with faith, right? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And he calls them foolish for doing that. In fact, you kind of see Paul's concern, his emotions in the letter. I'm going to show you a chart that has some of the passages that, that talk about Paul's Mood as he's speaking with them. He says, I am astonished. In chapter one and verse six, he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ. He called you into the grace of Christ and now you're moving away from that. And then we see in chapter uh, three where he says, oh foolish Galatians and he says it twice. He's saying, you're being foolish. Wake up. And the question that I have for us today is, are we falling into that same trap? Have we moved away? Have we drifted off? We have people in our society right now that are drifting off away from Christ. They start with a simple thing. Truth begins with me. Truth begins with you. It's my truth and your truth. It's relativism. And relativism fails because you, you don't have any, uh, if you make the statement, all things are relative, was that an absolute statement or a relative statement? If it's a relative statement, I just said nothing. If it's an absolute statement, then I have a one absolute system that all things are relative and that doesn't make sense. It's self-defeating. And so you realize that if somebody starts there, then what they tend to do is they move from there. To, well, if it's me, then I can throw the scriptures out, or I'm more important than the scriptures, and they're a good book, but they're they're, they're not the truth, they're not absolute, and so I can live however I want to live. And then I begin to make up my own rules, and my own morality, and my own stuff. And you see where it goes. All of a sudden, you go from relativism to, oh, if this is absolute, then I throw it out. Or I modify it, and it's no longer absolute, it's just nice suggestions. And then I throw that out and then pretty soon I end up going, well, if I can throw that out, that means that I can throw out, you know, hell, I don't like that very much, so let's let's get rid of that one, you know. And then I get rid of, and all of a sudden you just start moving out and you've created your own religious system. In our country, we've seen that happen from the 60s. And the 60s was the God is dead movement. And God was thrown out of schools and thrown out of other public places, and prayer was thrown out, and, and you begin to see this movement. It's like, well, if God is dead, and, and Madeline Murray O'Hare, you know, the atheist, was kind of pushing for some of those things and and, and, and achieved some of those things, and all of a sudden, we see this shift in our culture from God is dead to no longer following the scriptures to all of a sudden, laws are being changed, and, and, and we see our culture, you know, really what we're seeing today is just the result of the 60s, of that perspective a belief system changes a culture and a society and so we have to ask ourselves what am i believing have i got my ball lost in the weeds you know you 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 start at at uh, uh if i'm one degree off at the beginning of a long trip i'm a long way off by the time i get the distance i was going to go If I'm one degree off and I decide I want to travel all the way around the world, I'm 500 miles off when I get back to the the same uh, longitude. Or is that latitude? I don't remember. But anyway, that that way. (laughs) And so you you think about that and, and you realize, wow, if I get just a little off, it changes everything about my walk. That's why I started out with the question... That what I believe about law and grace is the most important thing about my walk with the Lord. It's the most important thing about my spiritual walk. And it affects other areas as well. Well, you see that he's upset. He says, I'm perplexed about you. Who hindered you? Who's the one troubling you? Who's unsettled? And his whole perspective is they're beginning to try to get you to live by law and grace. And the reality is that doesn't work. And you see a little bit more about his mood in verse chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth, the truth of the gospel? Who hindered you? Who tripped you up is the literal translation of that word hindered. The Greek word that's there. Who tripped you up? I have a video, and I want to show it to you. It's of a person in this latest Olympics. She's Dutch. She's a Dutch runner. Uh, She was running the 1,500 meters. She was going to run the 5,000 that same day on the finals. This was just a preliminary heat leading up to the 1,500, which I believe she got the bronze medal eventually in. Go ahead and show that video clip. Here comes the bell. Here comes the bell. Bill 59.2, the final lap in the first team. There's a fall on Hassan.
0: Oh Oh my goodness.
1: It was a chain reaction. It started with Hawthorne. She bumped into
0: the Kenyan runner, Inida Jeptok. And then Hassan fell over Jeff to talk And now look at the work she has to do. The last thing she wanted today, a full out sprint for Hassan to try and get back into this. But if anybody could do it, it would be Hassan. So we've got those top five up there. All she has to do is close this gap right here. And you see Hassan coming up. If she can get in front of these girls right here, now she's in front of these women, she, now she's in that sixth position that she needs to make it to the next round.
1: But how much gas is she using up that she wanted in the tank tonight for the 5,000 final? Ellie Purrier, St. Pierre out in front. Here comes Hassan and a pretty staggering last lap after going down. Hull is there as well in your top six coming through in one big... I love that race. Here's a runner who was tripped... She got up, and she won her heat. Now, they were talking about the 5,000 later and that she was going to run out of gas when she ran the 5,000. She actually won the gold medal. And it reminds me of what Paul, or I say Paul, whoever the writer was of Hebrews, says in Hebrews 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we have here this passage, an encouragement to run the race with endurance. And when I think about that in regard to the, the book of Galatians and this fact that who hindered you, who tripped you up? Some of you have been tripped up. Some of you have struggled. Some of you have things that have caused you to be stunted in your Christian walk. You want to grow more, but you but you find these habits, these sins that so easily beset you, these different things, uh, struggling uh, to to keep it to keep it straight and to walk in grace. And you think you've messed up too much. You think that you failed the Lord. You feel shame. You feel guilt. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for all those things. Because he wants us to be able to know that it's not by my works that I'm saved. I'm saved for good works, but not by my good works. And there are things that trip us up. At the end here, we're going to take a moment to just pray. There may be some, some things that you're struggling with. Maybe you've bought into the, 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 the falsehood, the false gospel, that somehow you've got to follow law and not the grace of God. That you think that it's grace and law. For some of you, there's other things that have hindered you from running. He says this, per, this persuasion, this idea of living according to the law, this persuasion is not from him who calls you God did not originate this idea of of grace plus law. Yeah, he created the law. He created grace. But law was intended to show us how we come up short. Law is the x-ray machine that that exposes that we have a broken bone, but it's never going to fix it. It's grace that fixes it. That's why Jesus had to die. Because otherwise, if it's by law, then Jesus has done effect. And he says that. You're severed from Christ. We, we can't add law and grace because otherwise we've voided law, we've fallen away from grace. I mean, we've voided grace, we've fallen away from grace. He says, I have this confidence in the Lord, verse 10, that you will take no other view than the one that he's proclaiming, faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone, not the law. And then he talks about this one who's troubling, the one that's unsettling, and he he says uh, uh, hard things about that. But then he goes on in verse 13 and says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And you realize, oh, he just set up the end of the, the book. You don't use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. How do you fix that? Verse 16, you walk in the spirit. And he finishes out chapter 5, talking about that. How do you learn to love? Chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught up in transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And he shows us how to love our neighbor, how to love our brother and sister in Christ in chapter 6. And so here at the end of this chapter, he's, he's setting us up for what he's getting ready to do. He's getting ready to tell us how this looks, what grace looks like. Grace looks like walking in the Spirit. Grace looks like loving our neighbor. And we do it because we have the freedom to live according to righteousness, that we're no longer bound to the law of sin and death, as he talks about in Romans 8, that we've been set free, that we are not condemned And so we need to watch our drift. There was a guy who was operating a ship. His guy that he, that he took over for had finished his shift, and he was there at 2 a.m. in the morning, supposed to run this, this ship called the Priscilla. And he, he decided to take off the navigational equipment to turn it off, and put it on autopilot, and then he started watching music videos. He also kind of took a nap somewhere in the process, and then two hours later, he was off course. He had drifted off course because he wasn't paying attention. And he drifted off course, and he, when he realized that he was in the wrong spot, he said, well, I can just go between these two islands, and, and then I won't lose any time. I'll get right back on course. He had his navigational equipment off. It was at night. He didn't have a lookout watching. The shore authorities came on twice and told him, don't go the way that you're going between these two. There's a shallow reef and there's rocks there. Why he didn't pay attention to those guys, I don't know. And he ran the ship ashore, did a lot of damage to the ship. My guess is, the story didn't say, he probably lost his job over the deal, right? Fortunately, nobody was killed. Because he didn't watch his drift and then he thought he knew better. We have the scriptures that tell us where to go, how to go, what power to go under. And we need to live our lives according to grace. Not feeling like that we've got to do all these things in order to achieve sanctification. Because that's one thing that Paul said. He said, "You're not going to achieve the sanctification. You started by faith. You need to continue by faith." Chapter three he says, "You didn't receive." He says, uh, "Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now perfected in the flesh? We are not perfected in the flesh. We're perfected by faith. The same faith that saved us: I will live by faith, and my sanctification comes by faith." And I will do those things as I walk in the Spirit under the power of the Spirit. Because I can't do them on my own. It's almost like we're trying to live the Christian life and we got this plug that we can plug into the the power socket. And that power socket is God himself. The Spirit of God. And we're just sitting there holding the cord wondering why our Christian life doesn't work. So I want us to take some time here at the end. I want us to pray. I want us to take some time to pray. I want us to pray for our own lives first. I want us to pray that that God would help us. Maybe you've got some habit that you need to to break. Maybe you've got something going on in your life. Somebody's hurt you deeply. Uh, You've got anger issues. Maybe you have an addiction problem with something. I want you to pray first for you. And then maybe grab somebody's hand that's next to you and I want you to pray with each other. To pray for one another. Maybe you feel like you need to come forward and, 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 and you can do that. Uh, I'll be here up front and you can, I can pray with you. And then I want us to pray for our city. Timberview High School, they had a shooting this week. And I guarantee you there's kids afraid to go to school. Parents that are afraid to go to school. Tonight some of the students uh, from Timberview High School have organized a prayer time at Newman Stadium. I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know what theological perspective or anything, but I do know that they're planning that. It might be something that you pray for them for or maybe even go and attend. I want us to pray for that school. I want us to pray for the, for the guy who did the shooting, for the guy who's, who's still struggling for his life, for those who were shot and still healing up. We need to pray for our community because they need Jesus. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace that transforms hearts, that transforms communities. Let's take some time to just talk to the Lord. And I will pray in a few minutes. And then the those who are up here are going to lead us in that chorus that we sang earlier about our focus on the Father, turning to him, running to him. So let's take some time to pray.